In Titus 2, older women are commanded to teach what is good so they can help younger women love their husbands and children. On today's show, you'll hear from older women who will share timeless, relevant biblical wisdom and personal, profound life experiences to help answer your questions and teach what God says is good so you can be the wife and mother you were created to be. Welcome to another episode of Older Women Likewise. Hello, viewers, and a warm welcome to you. Imagine Christianity minus the entertainment shows, the hypocrisy, the jockeying for positions of power within a complex network of denominational organizations. What would Christianity look like minus every man-made rule and human tradition imposed these last 2,000 years of church history? What would be left is the original, simple, pre-denominational, even pre-Catholic Christianity that our panel tonight, Lauren Basford and Colleen Osteen, uh, will be discussing. Not discuss. Now, please don't be disgusting. We'll be discussing. Okay, discussing. <laughs> so, Lauren, help me out here. Get me out of that. Uh, how are you? <laughs> Tell me. Let's change the. How are you doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. Yeah, Things in Tennessee are, are hot, but good yeah. otherwise. Yep, we're hanging in there. Hanging in tough. All right. And how about you, Colleen? What's going on? Well, something that's very relevant to what we're talking about. I have an ongoing Bible study with uh, some people who were a part of a denomination, and they started, they started thinking sure that we want to go along with all these ideas that, that are being pressed on us. And so they, they have changed. And uh, one of them has become a Christian. I'm, I've got an ongoing study with, yeah. with uh, them. This, so this is very, very relevant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of things you've written, Lauren, I think, too, the things that you've had published also fall into this, right? Because, yeah, you've done various um, classes as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's so foundational. And I think women mm -hmm. tend to kind of shy away from, from the doctrine stuff a little. And I think yeah. it's good for us to dig in on oh, this yeah. and, and figure out what the Bible teaches about the basic stuff, especially. Absolutely. All right. So Colleen, will you start us off tonight with some thoughts that you have uh, been studying in preparation for this about whether the kingdom of God or the church is a human idea or is it of divine origin? Yes. Let, and let's go to the scripture first. So yes. that we're not just coming up with this off. You'll know I'm not come, just coming up with this. So the human idea would be that you get the, the whole concept of God and how we, our relationship with him and how we should act and what we should think uh, that would come from maybe uh, your parents, your conscience, preachers, um, just feelings, what you think is right, human wisdom and human creeds. A lot of that is in us. It, it gets put into us in our formative years. And uh, we get a lot of it from uh, the culture and from media, TV, movies, things like that. One scripture that I, that I want to throw out there is that it is against human, the human idea, 
for being the basis of what we do in relationship to God mm-hmm. is uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21. And it reads, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So those are the saved. Those are the people. How are they saved? Through the message. Mm -hmm. That's the church and that's the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And then the other verse that I wanted to bring up is, uh, so the first one was against human creeds and human thinking. This one is for the idea that it is a divine idea. The church and the kingdom are completely foundational in God. It's divine. And I went to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And that reads, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. Now, this is Jesus giving the great commission to his apostles, and he's telling us the, the authority is in him, and he's saying that I'm giving that to you to pass on to disciples and teaching them to observe all things. And and so that establishes the church and that establishes the kingdom. It tells us we get, when we try to figure out what we're supposed to do, that all comes from Jesus because he said all authority has been Mm -hmm. given to him. Yeah. And even back from Old Testament times, right, the church was prophesied um, as early as 2 Samuel 7, 12. King David was told that one of his descendants would establish the throne of his of his kingdom forever. Right. And so that that is something that in Luke 1, 20, uh, 32 and 33, it says the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his king, his kingdom will have no end. And so, yeah, this is something that definitely dates way, way back, even before the first century in God's, in God's uh, plan to save man. And Jesus himself says, I will build my church. And one reason why I wanted to talk about this question, ladies, is because I think, and not I think, I have heard <laughs> that uh, other people out in the world thinking that the church was never really supposed to have happened, that Christ was kind of more like, Uh, Buddha and just went around and taught some wisdom, but this whole church thing was entirely man-made and had, Mm -hmm. and and so anything else you want to add to that, Lauren, of of Colleen's thoughts? Well, and I know that we see, you know, I've heard, I've heard similar thoughts that that this whole religion is just a a man thing Mm -hmm. and you just get to God however you get to him and it doesn't matter. What's interesting about that, though, is that you look at the similarities between different religious movements and religious groups. Mm -hmm. And when you see those similarities, what it always points back to is God. Mm. That Mm -hmm. what it is, is God underneath all of it and God behind all of it, which tells me that it's not just our idea to Mm, that we have that yearning inside. Yeah, that we have a spiritual yearning that nothing in this life can fulfill us completely. Absolutely. 
other than God's plan for us. So, and so what else, Colleen, where, when and where in scriptures does God indicate that the church or the kingdom of God would be established? So what, what were your ideas on that, Colleen? The first place I, I go, there are, there is lots that I could say, but I'm yeah. going to go with, um, uh, in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. So Jesus foretells the kingdom, the coming of the, the church and the kingdom in Acts one, four through five, he said, uh, it, it, um, it says, and being assembled together with them, he, that's Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father which he said, you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy spirit. Not many days from now. Mm -hmm. So he says it's coming. It's been been saying this for a long time, but now it's like, it's going to not many days from now. Then the day of Pentecost actually happens. And so that's in acts two verses one through four. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire And one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Jesus Mm -hmm. left the Comforter or the Holy Spirit with them. He sent the Holy Spirit to them after he left. And he was going to give them all the information they needed to set up the church and and to, to serve God in the way that God wants us to do that. So this is when it happens then the day of Pentecost and after in Acts 2, 46 and 47, it says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. So here we see, oh, and, and then the last verse and uh, the last part of that, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So this tells us this is the church. The church is saved people. The Lord was adding to them. So on the day of Pentecost, they became a group of saved people in the kingdom of Christ. And then, and as more came in, the Lord was adding them to the church just, and it's the same way that it happens now. Yep. All this, these many, uh, these many years since. In a response to that, Lauren, what were you thinking when Colleen was sharing her thoughts on that? It, I, so I love to plan things. Uh-huh. Um, I, every time we go on, my husband makes so much fun of me. Every time we go on vacation, <laughs> I have a giant binder with all the, the places oh, we're going to go and the things yeah. we're going to do. And yet people think that God just kind of eh, came up with the idea for the church. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that Acts 2 passage where mm-hmm. it just works beautifully. Okay. And even now, even now we see it working beautifully. And yeah. we know that God put planning into that. We know that that came from his good, his good mind and his good plans that are so much better. I mean, that's way better than my vacation planning is. <laughs> um, yeah. But he is, his plans are good. And they come to good fruition. Yeah. And if and if anyone's kind of curious about where to look for God's plan about when this kingdom would be established, I mean, Daniel chapter 2, when it talks about the different empires that would come and go, there was going to be a kingdom that could not be shaken. Like all the other ones were going to be shaken and destroyed. But it was going to happen 
in what turned out to be in fulfilled prophecy, the Roman Empire. So it like the thing that blows me away is, yes, it happens right on time, just according to the prophecies of Daniel chapter two. And it comes with power, as Colleen pointed out. Um, it's just like Jesus promised that you're going to see the kingdom of God come with power. That all of that happens in this window of time where crucifixion is actually a form of capital punishment. Now, there was not that, it only happened like in this little sliver of time that that would be the case. So it's just, it is amazing to me, Lauren, how so many things come to, to a head all at once at the perfect time where, um, as Colleen described, this church is... Um, founded right at, right after Jesus is ascended and his promise is fulfilled. Um, so tell us, Lauren, about what are the ramifications? So we read about this in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, like who's in charge here? <laughs> what, are the ra- what are the ramifications of there? It says that Jesus is the head of all things to the church. Like, tell us about that. Right. So somebody's in charge and it's not me. And I'm glad for that because that is (laughs) above my pay grade. Um, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. I think it's worth reading together. Yes, please. Put all things, he, God, put all things under his Jesus feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So when, when we see that head language, I think there's a lot of things that that implies. You know, I think one of the things is that it's the opposite of the feet. That the oh. first thing that Paul says is that God put all things under his feet mm-hmm. because he is the head. And to me, that says control. That Absolutely. says power. That says, you know, if I, we had a centipede in the house the other day. I had power over that centipede because okay. it was under my feet pretty quickly. <laughs> yes. That when we see Jesus as the head with everything under his feet, he's in mm-hmm. control. He's in power. Um, but it also says that he's the head over all things to the church. Mm-hmm. And so to me, you know, if, if you, now we're getting disgusting. Um, if you decapitate somebody. Okay. They're not alive anymore. Mm. If the head's not mm-hmm. attached, if the head's yes. not directing what they're doing and making mm-hmm. decisions for the body, yeah. then it's not alive anymore. Good point. And so when the church is connected to Jesus as its head, Jesus yeah. is making decisions. Jesus is giving directions. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, and I hadn't noticed this before. I've taught Ephesians 1 a bajillion times. Okay. And I hadn't noticed this before. That part of what it says is that the church is his body, which Mm. is the fullness of him. Mm. So part of that relationship too, I think, is a representative relationship that Mm. we, we take Jesus and we express him fully to the world Mm -hmm. around us. And I think that's part of what the church is supposed to be doing too, is saying, here's Jesus. Mm -hmm. You haven't met him before. But you have because you've met his body mm, and we mm-hmm. look like he does because yes. we're, we're the fullness of him there. Um, and so that I, I think that's an important piece of it, too, that we 
we not only take our direction from Jesus, but we represent him. Yes. In the world as we go out. Such a good point. Anything you wanted to add to that, Colleen? Or you know, many, many will commit to a savior. Yeah. They want to be saved and yeah. they're motivated. Yeah. Master, not so much. Mm. So that that is really tough for people. Mm-hmm. And a derived problem of of making him your master is that you you have to do what he says no matter what. Yes. And, you know, often Jesus would, um, you know, people would come and they would say, oh, we want to follow you. And he said, are you sure you want to do that? You're right. Sure? Right. Said, well, we, well, we want to be married. Are you really? You know, because uh-huh. if you're going to do it, you have to do it by my rules. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we have to go along and take the hardship or maybe um, that, that his, his, that we might have to endure because we are following what he wants us to do. That could be mental. It could be financial. It could be mm. physical or mm-hmm. all kinds of things. And, but, and also by the same token, blessings uh, may not be realized until for a long time until for yes. years, or even after this life. Yeah. So that's really tough for people. We like a reward that gets us going. Uh, and we don't want to be punished. We don't want to, we don't, it just doesn't make sense to, uh-huh. Uh, do what somebody, what God is telling us to do when maybe we have all these problems that come from doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example uh, in Colossians 3, 17 through 20. Mm-hmm. I'll just read that. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Mm-hmm. Children, Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, any of those could seem innocuous enough, but they could also mean that we have to go along with somebody who has bad financial or social judgment, or or uh, we have to love someone who is not very lovable and, and endure sometimes unpleasant consequences. This is very tough for people. Mm-hmm. I, I like to, when I study with someone that's a new Christian, I really like to teach them First, who Jesus is, because if you have to put up with a lot, <laughs> you need to know him and you need to understand why we gladly put ourselves under his authority and do whatever he wants us to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. And some of your comments are reminding me of, well, when you're talking about the head and the body, first off, I was reminded of second, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 5 that says your faith should not rest. You know, the head rests on the body. Your faith we're going to serve God because your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So that's, that's reassuring that that's where our faith rests is on the power of God, not the wisdom of men. Cause the thing is, yeah, human error in man-made religion, um, that is terrifying. And Christ is a merciful, Christ is a merciful, merciful God to put ourselves um, in submission to. Um, and that's why at the, remember the one time where a voice comes out of heaven, what does it say? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So yes, his voice and his headship over all. And you know, and so, a lot of this is, it's okay. Uh, really, I think people just don't know what the Bible says. Yeah. 
They really don't. And, and uh, in different parts of the country, it, they don't know. I'm, they don't you know. You got to read it. You got to read it. <laughs> for, you know, a hundred years, maybe they've really been taught. Well, just, you don't need to read that. We'll tell you what it says. Don't, don't get all caught up and have all these problems with trying to figure out what to do. We will tell you. Right. And, and really that reading the scriptures calling is the antidote to being in a, the kind of relation you talk, relationship you described where you are called to submit to somebody that you do not consider wise. Like if your nose is in the book, you know that you want to marry somebody that is very Christ-like because he is the easiest in the world to submit to. <laughs> so that's even that's, yes. you know, that's our solution. Lauren, what was your thought? Well, I, as I was listening to Colleen talk about, um, you know, the, the disconnect between Mm. the head and the body. So y'all know my husband has a neurological condition. Yes. And what that is, is his brain tells his body to do something and his body says, no, I, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm Mm. going to go do this other thing instead. Mm. That's a big deal. Like that, that's everything. And yet when we look at that head body connection, mm-hmm. we have churches going, well, I, that the head told me to do this, but I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And when my husband's legs do that, then he falls over. Mm-hmm. And exactly mm-hmm. the same thing happens to us. If we yeah. don't follow the direction of that head, yes. then yes. we're not a functional body. Perfect analogy. Love it. I mean, yeah, it's very clearly. I hate that. I hate that you're familiar as you are with this analogy, but, but thank it's you useful. for you. It is useful. You're always, yeah, that's what we do. We use what is handed to us to get something, some kind of um, something to share to save people. Mm-hmm. So, you girls, it's time to gird our loins and buckle up and put on our helmets, like whatever you need to do to enter hyperspace, because this is that part where I'm going to try to cover 2000 years of history here in around five or six minutes. So here it goes. Stop me if you've got something to add. But where I want to start is, um, so we're going to talk about, so why do we have all these churches today? And so here's a little bit of why and how it was supposed to be. So I wanted to start in where Jesus prays in John 17, 20 through 22, right before he's crucified. He says, I do not ask on these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, and that's us, that they may all be one. And so you're, I asked like, well, how one? Like, well, how one do you mean we're supposed to be? Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Why? He goes, so that the world may believe that you sent me, unquote. So, I mean, like, this is Jesus Christ's dying wish. And people say their biggest stuff at that point. And that's what he is on his mind. Um, But not long after his death, by inspiration, the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, verses 29 through 31, predicted that soon, quote, savage wolves will come in from among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, he says, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each of you with tears. Like this was a big deal. That's from Acts 20, 29 through 31. Like Paul's crying about this. So it happens um, exactly like 
uh, as God said, through Paul's prediction that prideful men began to teach things that were not true in order to create their own following rather than leading others to humbly follow God. So why would people follow these teachers? Well, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4 gives us inside information on that when it says, quote, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. We, we call that like, tell me sweet little lies, you know, wanting to have their ears tickled. They accumulated for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And so, Two of those myths um, that were not sound doctrine are specifically mentioned in the next verse. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, it says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy, of liars, seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. It is certainly no coincidence that the first denomination that came into existence taught both of the doctrines of demons, as Paul predicted um, that they would in this verse. And, And it all happened when, like God said in Scripture, that a bishop or a elder must be married, 1 Timothy 3, 2, but eventually the Pope insisted that the bishop must not marry. Likewise, in in fulfillment to 1 Timothy 4, 3, remember the second one where Paul predicted false teachers would advocate abstaining from foods? For years, Catholics were required to abstain from all meats except fish on Fridays. And back to this day, if you go to a restaurant, often the soup of the day is clam chowder because... That is, goes way back to the tradition of you could not eat any other meat except fish on Fridays. They forbid um, food, just like this prophecy predicted. So I'm going to ask our producer to bring up a chart at this point that kind of shows some history of denominationalism. Now, when the church has predicted that kingdom of God, remember it said it would never be destroyed. So what I'm about to share with you, realize that the whole time that this um, falling away that was predicted through Paul, when it occurs, that church is there the whole time. So it's like stage, you know, on this ring here, on this side, the Church of Christ is steady and would endure forever. It's a kingdom that cannot be destroyed. And Meanwhile, so in denominationalism, in the year 533, Emperor Justinian declared Pope John II to be the Lord of the Church. And this is in direct um, contradiction to what uh, Lauren shared with us about how uh, Christ was the head of the Church and all things to the Church. Likewise, in 607, Pope Boniface III made uh, was made head of all the church officially and so there were all kinds of false teachings that came into existence during this time infant baptism happened in the year 400 uh worship of mary started in the year 431 um organ yes please could i could i just jump in here just for a second please that name church of christ is scriptural it is yes, and we're well, going to get down. It's not the name of the denomination. I think people. Yeah. Make that oh, mistake. thank you. 
Yes, it's a description of the Lord's church. And so um, what we're going to be talking about, uh, one of our last questions, we're going to get into like, what are some things like, how do we <laughs> go back past where all of these additions happen? Like, how can we get back? And so Colleen, exactly. The first clue is the name. Often that's how we identify one another as people, right? So we would want to have a biblical name. So, yeah. And so just a few other things I was going to mention on what was introduced. Like, because people may wonder, like, how long has this been around? Organ music started in the year 700. Like, for the first 700 years of Christian worship, the instrument that was played were, was the human heart. It's a spiritual covenant. And you'll find instrumental music back in the Old Testament. This is going to be a spiritual kingdom. And holy water came in uh, the year 1009. To me, the one, um, of course, rosary beads also um, in the year 1090. Celibacy, remember we talked about the forbidding of marriage. That was enforced uh, in 1123. And the one to me that always just is sh the most shocking is the sale of indulgences that were authorized in the Catholic Church in the year 1190. Like if you wanted to sin without your soul being damned by God, the Catholic Church said if you bought indulgences from them, that you could be absolved of your penalty. And so that's the answer to why, like, how did they afford such gorgeous architecture or even... How did they afford like these holy wars? And so that was that was another thing that came in that despite Jesus saying, my kingdom is not of this world, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting. Um, and that it's such a spiritual kingdom, according to Isaiah 2, 4, that it's so peaceful that you'd have to turn your weapon of warfare, like that'd be outdated. You're going to have to now melt it down and forge it into an agricultural tool for harvesting um, souls, you know, that are coming to God. So despite all that, the Catholic church in an attempt to spread their false religion carries out like 10, I think 10 or so bloody anti-biblical military campaigns that we know as the crusades. And so all of that happens from about, uh, the year 1095 AD to about 1291. So I will skip the rest, but it ends the infallibility of the Pope. So Martin Luther, I think you can see on this chart, see where it says 1520, uh, 1521. So in 1530, Martin Luther, who's a Catholic monk, uh, you may recall, nails to the door of the Wittenberg, Germany church building, his 95 theses, or in other words, like here's 95 things that we are doing that is against the Bible. And so that's what starts the um, Protestant movement. And so the next one that came on was Henry VIII. He's like, I want to be married to someone else. And the Catholic Church is like, oh, no, you don't. And he's like, fine, I'm starting my own church then. And so that's where we get the Church of England. Um, so that he can marry who he wants. One year later, uh, the Presbyterian Church is established by John Calvin. Now remember this whole time, Jesus said, I will build my church. So now there's just a series of people um, starting their own churches. The Methodists were started because of the method they were using to evangelize. John Smith establishes the Baptist church in England somewhere between 1607 and 1611. 
followed by, I mean, John and Charles Wesley. Um, they were the ones that started the Methodist Church. And then beginning like in the 1800s, some who were also seeking followers of their own began claiming that God was speaking to them. Um, for example, Joseph Smith, he began the Mormon church, like, Hey, God's telling me all this new stuff that we need to be doing. And he started the Mormon church in 1830. Ellen G. White's like, no, no, no. God's talking to me in, in 1863. And he's telling me to start the Seventh-day Adventist church where we're going to go back to keeping the Sabbath and stuff. And so this list um, grows and grows and grows as time goes along. The Jehovah's Witnesses um, is started by Charles Russell in 1872. Christian Science by Mary Baker Eddy in 1879. The Pentecostal Church by Mr. Parman and Mr. Moyer in the year 1900. The Nazarenes in 1908. The Foursquare Church in 1927, etc., etc. So, I mean... Lots more happened. And this is a very, you can, if you guys are, if anybody's watching this and they're really interested in what I just said, but you want more detail, there are versions of the chart you're looking at that are super detailed and go into much, much more uh, history about how they're often kind of connected to one another. Well, Cindy, um, we actually, ah. we have, we have a comment from somebody oh, who mentions that I thank you, Brian. We must continue to hold to the pattern God set in the Bible. Errant yes. doctrines are still being invented. Invented. And that is so true that yeah. it's easy for us to say, well, they they, you know, the these nice people that live next door to me and go to church down the road, they they love Jesus and they love the Bible. They just got it a little bit wrong and they just, yeah. they just missed a little. We need to be clear that the errant doctrine being taught at the church up the road that our very nice neighbors worship at mm -hmm. is just as problematic mm -hmm. as the sale of indulgences in the Roman Catholic Church. Yes. Know, that even now when people depart from that pattern, mm -hmm. when people try and think that, well, Jesus is the head, but I'm going to go do what I want. Yeah. That's, that's just as problematic, whether it's something newfangled. Yeah, with, you know, yes. we have we have a problem in our county. Folks who identify themselves as churches of Christ mm -hmm. have women preachers and instrumental mm -hmm. music, and it, mm -hmm. that's just as much a problem mm -hmm. as going up the road to the Baptist churches. Mm -hmm. It's not thank any you. different. Yes, thank you for adding not that. holding to the pattern. Exactly, remember, uh, Martin Luther as as. Uh, Conscientious as he was, uh -huh. he he was just reforming the Catholic Church. Mm. That meant he was taking the Catholic Church as it was, and he said, "But just fix these things." Yeah, and so, but we're talking about restoring the church yes. to what it yes. was. Well, in in Luke uh, fifteen, we have three little examples uh, of things being lost: the sheep, the coin, and the mm -hmm. prodigal son. Yeah. And in all of these cases, they, they were either lost or they were found. There was no middle ground. They weren't replaced or like they didn't, mm. you know, the, the, the prodigal son's father didn't say now, you know, I'll send you a check as long as you stay off alcohol and try to be good. No, it was either they were there or they were not. And that idea of restoring is mm. very big in those, in those three examples of lost things. And I think that applies here. Mm -hmm. It's a fresh start entirely, entirely. We're looking for a church that was founded by Jesus Christ and no one else. That's what we're looking for, a complete overhaul. 
um, because we don't want to be like in Romans 10, uh, 2 and 3. It talks about um, people having a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. And it says there, for not knowing about God's righteousness, they're seeking to establish their own and they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. So, yeah. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit, you guys. Um, there's a prediction in first Timothy four, one through three about that apostasy that we talked about. So what are the consequences? What does God say are the consequences when we create churches or that teach and practice beliefs just to fit our personal preferences. How big a deal is that? Because a lot of people think like, oh, this is great. You can kind of find one that you like the best, you know, one that appeals most to you and God will be happy with any and all of it. So I'll get us started on second John, 9 through 11 says, anyone that goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. I mean, why go through all the effort that practicing Christianity takes if you're not going to abide in the teachings of Christ? I mean, you need God. That's why we do this, to draw near to God. But then it goes on to say, the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. So... You'll have God if you stick with the teachings of Christ. What does God's what does Jesus say, girls, about um, in Mark seven verses six through nine? What happens when people honor Christ with their lips, but their heart is far away from them? What happens to their worship? It says, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So we want God oh, to accept our worship. Yeah, we want God to accept our worship. So we really, really need our doctrines, everything we teach to come from God. Because Jesus that, said in that passage goes on. Um, yeah. You know, one of the one of the pieces that I had noted was yeah. that as Jesus keeps talking there, yeah, he's not talking about them just kind of going off the reservation and doing wild. They are taking his words, taking the instruction of God and just twisting it just a little bit mm -hmm. to fit what they want to do anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such a, for me, that is such a huge warning because yeah. it's so easy to say, well, this is what God says. And, and he's, he's mostly right. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to tweak that until, mm -hmm. until we get it all the way. Right. And that's what they were doing experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Experts. In that second Timothy uh, chapter four, yeah. that, that uh, Cindy, you read earlier um, that people will have teachers that'll tell them what they want to hear. Uh, in verse five, it says, now this is Paul writing to Timothy. It says, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. And that would be easy for me to say, well, I didn't know he was talking to me. He's talking to uh -huh. Timothy. Well, we're all, we better be evangelists. If we're, if we are not, then we're not, we're not good workers. And yeah. so, and, and it's not just talking to men. It's not, it's not, it doesn't just apply to men. It doesn't apply to just to people that are full-time preachers, males. No, we have to be able to point that out and stand up to people. They may not like it, but that's my work. My work is yeah. to point out things and help people. It's, they'll, and they'll, that's why we're here. I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not, yeah. It's all about helping people, isn't it? Um, 
Also, 1 Timothy 4.16 says, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things. Be, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both to yourself and those who hear you. So it's like a life and death thing that we pay close attention to our teaching. Um, well, so you I, guys, yeah. There's another, Lauren. sorry. Dana Burke had a, a thought on this as well and, oh, and handed it to us. So we, I, we can't not take that. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Dana mentioned Matthew 7, 21 and 22 which is not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, but yes. the one who does the will of my father. I, this is eternal consequences. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to just say, oh, I love Jesus so much. The way that he knows whether we love him and yes. whether we are going to be in heaven with him is whether we do the will of the mm -hmm. father and the son. That's, mm -hmm. what, that's what makes the difference. Yes, and it's how we show him that we love him. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments in John 14, 15. So, I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, clearly, full, joyous submission and obedience to God is not legalism. <laughs> I mean, full, joyous submission and obedience to God among a, among a collective group is what Christ calls a church. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. You know? So you guys, we're running out of time. Do you think that we can describe New Testament Christianity, pre-denominational Christianity in, let's say, uh, under 10 minutes here? <laughs> let's see what I we think can we're up do. for it. All right, great. So what are some things like, how do you find the church, a church to worship with that honors and obeys uh, the word of God, like the faithful churches did in the Bible. So what are some clues? I'll let you guys start this round. Let, can I start just by, yeah. by saying that we have an unprecedented window of opportunity right now. There are people, and I've talked to them, uh, and I've heard about them, that yeah. there are denominational headquarters telling them that they have to accept certain things. And they're finally going, okay, okay, we could tolerate things for a hundred years, but okay, this is, we can't do this. Yes. This, I'm serious. It's I have not, freeing. I, I never thought I would see some of these things. People are ready to ask there. And, and when, so when they say we're going, okay, well, we can't be part of this denomination anymore. The next yes. question is, okay, well, what do we believe? We don't know. Yeah. And we have to be there ready to help them mm -hmm. have your Bible ready to, and offer to study with them, you know, put in your little comments when they're telling you about this, say, it's a lot easier if you just go buy the Bible. That's the thing. Yeah. Find a book chapter and verse for everything you believe <laughs> and teach. Right. And so I'll say also that, so one thing you're looking for in John 13, 35, Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So that's the foundation. I mean, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. So people loving one another um, in ways like a thriving family would, that's a clue, but that's not the only clue. Colleen, you mentioned earlier about uh, the name that the body wears, right? So as individuals, yes. mm -hmm. I mean, what are, what are the followers of Christ called in the scriptures? Well, uh, we can look at the, the, uh, some of the epistles and they're written yeah. to the churches of Christ, mm -hmm. church of God. There are several yep. names and, and that's just a reflection on what Jesus taught. It's his name that you cannot be saved by any other name. Mm. So, 
to, to say that, you know, you're a Lutheran or something else that, that won't work. It's that it glorifies that, Martin Luther, but yes. yeah. Yes. And he, he, right. would, I'm sure he would not have been okay with that. He actually, so. yeah, actually that is part mm -hmm. of history calling. He said, please do not call yourselves after me. And so I guess people waited for him to pass away before they did. Um, but first Peter four thirteen says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. And then also, as Colleen pointed out, yeah, if you're wondering where the Church of Christ, I mean, it's 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 a descriptive word, and it's in Romans sixteen sixteen, the Churches of Christ. So not the only thing, right? The Church of the Firstborn is also found in the Bible. So, um, so tell me, ladies, um, a biblical church, like what would a biblical church say is God's plan to save mankind? Because we've got to teach everything God says on that and not take anything away. So what passages do you go to to answer what God requires of people to be saved and spend eternity with him? I go to Ephesians 1. Okay. And I know Ephesians 1 can be scary because that's also where Calvinists go. Okay. <laughs> um, and so Calvinists will take you to Ephesians 1 and say, well, see, we're all predestined and we have no free will. But Ephesians 1 says that we are saved by grace through faith mm -hmm. and not of ourselves. It's not works-based obedience or not mm -hmm. works-based salvation, yes. but there's still an element of obedience to it, that it's God-focused salvation. Yes. And that's what Ephesians 1 has for us. So we're having faith in God's plan to save us. We're having faith in everything he's planned since the beginning of time to save us. And so what... What is his plan, Colleen? What did what did he say we're to do to be saved? Well, we have to hear the word and and to understand what it's all about. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think you have to be a you know a, a, an expert, but you do have to understand that Jesus came and died for our sins and and understand and then believe that message. So mm -hmm. hear and then Faith. and believe it and repent. I think a lot of times people go right to the baptism thing and, and they forget that you have to repent. And that's a lifelong problem. <laughs> for me. You got to keep doing that. You'll be repenting the rest of your life. Um, oh, yes, that is. So yeah, we have to believe uh, we have to repent. We have to confess the name of Jesus, mm -hmm. you know, to not say, you know, if you if you're embarrassed, then he'll be embarrassed of you one day. So we have to be willing to confess his name and uh, be baptized. You can look through the book of Acts and over and over and over. That was, that was one of the, that was the condition you need to be baptized. But all of these things need to be done. You have yeah. to be a, something of a detective and look through the whole New Testament and see different places that mentions this thing or that thing. And then you got to put them all together yes. to become a Christian. The sum of God's word is truth. Yep. Matthew 16, 16 said, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. So what are some other clues about whether a church is walking close to the shepherd? What about the way that the church worships? And I'll put us in the fast lane here in the hyperspeed and say, what you'll find in the scriptures is that the New Testament church participated in the Lord's Supper each week. They prayed together during worship. 
there was a gathering of a free will authoring, offering that wasn't overemphasized like what we often see today, but people out of their own uh, willingness, uh, there wasn't really tithing that we see. That was Old Testament. But they did give to help support um, the work of the church, and that's it. it that is much needed. Uh, they would listen to the teaching that is based on scripture um, together and talk about that and meditate on those uh, eternal truths. And they would also sing. And so that, that was a simple and beautiful expression of a heartfelt love and devotion to God. They would do that together as well. Um, it is so amazing how authentic restored Christianity is clean. Like it's not wasteful and primitive Christianity alone. I think that's where God has placed genuine happiness and deep fulfillment and really just a lot of freedom. Um, so what about when it comes to positions of power within the church? I mean, there's a lot, lot of positions of power within denominations, but we don't see a lot of those in the New Testament. We don't see a pope. We don't see nuns. We don't see cardinals. We don't see, um, we don't even see a youth pastor um, mentioned specifically, but maybe that's just descriptive. I'm not sure. But yeah, there's a lot of um, simplicity in how God organized his church. So what do we see and mention specifically in scriptures, ladies, about positions of power within the New Testament church? I mean, Christ is the head of all things, but did he, did he give a limited amount of power to humans uh, to make those judgment calls on how to apply book, chapter, and verse? I think the limit, the limited is the, the key word there. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people see the elders as the CEO the, the board of directors <laughs> uh -huh. um, and what they really, it's as much a submissive position as any of the rest of it. Oh, if they are the ones that, that Jesus put, you know, in, in Titus one that Jesus put in charge of, you know, somebody's got, the buck's got to stop somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. And so in the Lord's body, that buck stops with the, with the elders. Mm -hmm. And that's a position of, power but but so much responsibility and such a burden to mm -hmm. to care for the lord's church that way and they I had to make qualifications mm -hmm. qualifications what do you think colleen key is is this idea that we're we're there's no slave no there are no no gender slave free male female that all of that stuff is we we're all valuable in god's sight Mm -hmm. When you grow up in a denomination, your, your parents tell you first thing, at least when I was little, that you call the preacher reverend and that, mm. that clergy idea is not, okay. that's, yeah, that is never taught in the scripture. And so I think that's, that's a really important thing. Even, even though some have leadership roles, yeah, they're not better than anyone else. Right. Right. And so when you say no gender, what you're saying is it's 100 percent equal that maybe we have different assignments, but we are the gender that he gave us and we carry out the assignments that he gave it each individual gender within the work of the church. And so, and yeah, not, there's and looking not looking at that, you know, when yeah. it teaches about, you know, don't worry whether the Gentiles are Jew or Jews. Right. Or that's, that's irrelevant. Racism is gone. Raise, no racism allowed, like, yes, uh, and no class uh, respect to different classes of people. Yes, we're all to be uh, equally value in Christ. 
So yeah, beyond elder, deacon, and evangelists or preachers, really we don't see any other uh, side offices in the organization of the church. And also an indication would be morality in the, in, uh, of, and in the lives of the individuals of a congregation. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, we're to be imitators of Paul as he was of Christ. So a little bit, I think you covered that well, Lauren, when you were talking about the head, that we are to show the world the holiness that the body of Christ is like, this is what Christ looks like. So um, I'm going to skip 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. There's some ways that in that scripture, if you want to know what would make you not morally clean. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 lists both the deeds of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. So look there for specifics about what does moral purity look like and not look like. So, so when we're teaching yeah. people, I think we have to be so careful to make sure we're not just teaching cultural ideas. Right. I think that's what has gotten so many people soured on uh, Christianity because people, yeah. people took advantage and they said, oh, well, you have to do this, or this is a sin. And and it wasn't. Right. You know, in 1922, it was wrong to do this. Oh, uh, I okay. see. Yeah. So yeah. time goes by and, oh, it's not a sin anymore. Uh-huh. People took advantage. Yeah. And we have to be really, really careful because it, what, it, it did a lot of damage. Right. It's just it's wrong to bind where God is not bound as it is to loose where God is not loosed. Both of those, we are to have a book, chapter, and verse for everything we believe and teach. Wow, we did it, ladies. We covered <laughs> so much territory tonight. Man, I don't know what I would have done without you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we have gone over time. So anything else you want to add before I say goodnight to our viewers? No? Thanks for joining can. us. All yeah, right. Yes, thank you. Wonderful. And thanks for the great comments tonight. Comments were great. So we'd like to invite our viewers to check out uh, the live program called Answering Religious Error on Tuesday evenings, 8 o'clock Eastern. There's a panel of preachers there that are presenting and discussing various ways to keep your head on straight. Boy, we need that. Uh, they are also having a weekly panel that offers to answer any of your Bible questions. That Q&A is on Wednesdays at noon Eastern time. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. Good night.